Good morning, First City family, and those of you joining us on this live stream. Uh, for those of you that this is your first time with us, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're certainly in an unusual and unprecedented time in our nation. A lot of difficulty, uh, fear, pain, suffering, inconvenience, uncertainty are really defining our time. And as a church, we really wish we could be together, uh, worshiping as a family, face-to-face. But here we are. Uh, never in a thousand years did I think as a pastor and a church planner I'd ever be live streaming, but this is the new normal. Uh, so we're going to settle in and see how this goes. Uh, we definitely are mourning the loss of being able to gather, but also trusting that the Lord is going to work through this time, through this medium of live stream, and then the liturgy that's also provided. So uh, hope that this is a great experience for you this morning, uh, in spite of all the, the challenges that we're facing so here, here's how we're approaching Sunday morning worship as a church. We're going to take kind of a hybrid approach. So we're going to use both live streaming and uh, a provided liturgy. And so this live streamed call to worship and message uh, really are a way to create a community touch point. So we can gather all together at the same time, albeit remotely, uh, to center ourselves on God's word. And then with the liturgy provided, our hope is that this would encourage you to just further engage the elements of our liturgy, whether personally or as a family. And all together, both of these elements, we hope, will encourage you in your faith and strengthen you in this time and really build your affection for Jesus. Uh, If you uh, need some direction with the liturgy, uh, if you're joining us on our website, uh, you'll find our liturgy uh, laid out there and also a sheet that you can download. Uh, If you're joining us by Facebook Live, please uh, head over to our website and you can see the liturgy laid out and and download it as well for whether personal or family worship. So in this unique time uh, where we're unable to gather as a church, we don't want to just pass the time while we're social distancing. We actually want to redeem the time. We want to lean into the opportunity that God has for us. And, And doing that particularly by leaning into the practice of family worship. Maybe family worship is something new for you. It's a practice that you're, you've never done or maybe only done a few times. That's okay. See, this is an opportunity to develop a new rhythm uh, within your family. And if you need some suggestions, we provided a guide uh, to use for this live stream and liturgy for your family. For those of you that are single and joining us, uh, maybe some of these Sundays are just a great time for personal worship for you, but I'd encourage you Uh, reach out to some friends or family members that you know and join them and try to experience this somewhat in a corporate way. Uh, Families or married couples, if you have friends or family members that are single, invite them over uh, so they may worship with you. Uh, Social distancing does not mean social isolation. Uh, We need each other. Uh, So let's make the most of every opportunity to gather in the the size of groups that we're allowed uh, and worship together in this time. Uh, My hope and my prayer is that Uh, Through the live stream, through the liturgy, uh, you will be strengthened in your faith, uh, that your joy in Jesus will grow, and that really uh, this just won't be a time where we're kind of sitting back and relaxing, but really engaging what the Lord has for us uh, in this time of difficulty and uncertainty. And so with that as way of introduction, uh, I want to call us to worship through Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Church, God is our shelter. As a bird will gather her chicks close to her for comfort and refuge and to protect them, the Lord gathers us near in this time of worship. And so let us gather together in worship that we may experience the grace and the love and the mercy of God and that we can say with the psalmist with confidence, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your mercy and for your love and for your grace. I pray that this morning as we engage uh, through this live stream, uh, that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, this is an unusual experience for us. Some of us, uh, we don't really know what to expect or what to do with this time, but we know that you are faithful and you are powerful regardless of our circumstances. So may we lean in, uh, may we trust, uh, may we have high expectations for you even in this season. Uh, Father, would you shape our hearts uh, to find refuge in you, to find hope, to find comfort, to find joy in you. And as we engage your word this morning, may it be the truest voice that we hear. May it drown out all the, the hysteria and all the other headlines. May, may it be the thing that we grab hold to in this time. And may our joy in you increase. May our affections for Jesus increase. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians 4. And those of you that grew up in the 80s, uh, you may remember and be familiar with Billy Joel's number one hit from 1989, We Didn't Start the Fire. If you don't know this song, you are missing out on some classic 80s music. But what makes this song so memorable is that in just a few short minutes, he is able to cover over 100 headlines from the year 1949 to the year 1989. And he covers things like war and political scandal and health scares and pandemics and deaths of famous actors and all the scandal, all the news you'd expect to really hit headlines. And back on March 11th, so just about 10 days ago, that's really the day the dominoes kind of started falling for us here in the U.S. as it related to the, the pandemic fear. Uh, someone tweeted, today was like if we didn't start the fire was a day. And then some, someone else then tried to cleverly tweet uh, an attempt at some lyrics. And I am not going to try to sing these because I'm not ready to embarrass myself on this live stream. But, but here is what someone came up with uh, on Twitter. It said, schools close, Tom Hanks, trouble in the big banks, no vaccine, quarantine, no more toilet paper scene. Travel ban, Weinstein, panic COVID-19, NBA gone away, what else do I have to say? And so if you're familiar with the song, you see this pretty clever uh, rendition based on some of the things that have happened in the past couple weeks. But really the social angst and the fear that is captured in that song by Billy Joel feels especially real to us uh, right now. Uh, in some ways, look, we're used to turmoil with 24-7 news coverage like war and scandal and pain and suffering are kind of right up in our faces all the time. But this feels different. This affects all of us. And so really that, that energy and that angst 
is something that we're all sharing in right now. And, and so to relate to just the sense of the world feels like it's particularly crazy right now. That in some ways the world feels like it is on fire. And that's real. And that's something that we need to acknowledge. But the question for us as disciples of Jesus is how are we going to respond? How are we going to live? What does it look like to be faithful to Christ and live by faith in this time? Like, are we going to be carried away? Our hearts going to be carried away by the hysteria and the headlines, much the same way we could get carried away by the great beat of a pop song, or are our hearts going to be shaped and formed? Are they going to find refuge and find comfort in the truth of God's word and in the truth of who he is in this time? And so my burden for us this morning, church, is that in the midst of this season of pandemic, we don't forget who we are. And we don't forget who our God is. We don't forget that we've been called to live by faith. And that faith shapes the way that we live and it actually creates the sense of distinction and difference in our lives. And so how are we going to live? How are we going to respond to this difficulty and suffering and uncertainty? And this is why I want to briefly reflect this morning on Philippians chapter 4, because it gives us some categories that I think help shape the way that we should engage this season together and the way that we should think about what it means to be disciples of Jesus in the midst of suffering and trial. In the, the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church while he is in prison. And so you think your social distancing is difficult. Imagine being in prison. He, this is the ultimate sort of quarantine. And he's writing to a church that is experiencing persecution and trial itself. So Paul is one experiencing trial, writing to those who are experiencing trial and difficulty. And the thing is, is that whether it be persecution, whether it be suffering, or whether it be pandemic, whatever the trial, whatever the suffering may be, it has a way of disorienting and discouraging us. It has a way of making us lose hope, lose faith, lose joy. It, it, can, it can affect unity in the church. It can affect our faithfulness to Christ. And so Paul writes to this church to encourage them to say, hey, look, even while you're going through these things, we can walk in a way that glorifies the Lord and points others to him. We can walk in a way that shows that Jesus is good, Jesus is glorious, that we have much to put our hope and our faith in. And so this letter to them is, is a way of encouragement. And in chapter 4 in particular, Paul is going to challenge the church to stand strong. Here's what he writes in Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand strong. Stand firm in the Lord. And how exactly do we do that? Well, later in this chapter, he gives us some categories. And these are the categories that I want us to consider. In verses 4 through 9, this is what he writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, 
if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So four categories for us to briefly touch on. We are a rejoicing people. We are a reasonable people. We are a prayerful people. And we are a purposefully formed people. And the beauty and power of all of these categories is the fruit that they produce. Strength and peace. And peace may seem like the furthest thing from our world and our experience right now. But here's the beauty of God's word. It is utterly realistic about pain and suffering, but it never ceases to hold out the hope for peace. And so within Philippians chapter 4, I want to encourage us in these categories so that as we walk in this season, we walk in strength and we walk in peace. So first, let's consider what it means to be a rejoicing people. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again, just in case we missed it. Again, I say rejoice. Why twice? Because telling people to rejoice in the midst of trial and suffering seems crazy. Like, why would you ever tell somebody to rejoice? And so Paul doesn't want us to miss this point. Rejoice in the Lord always. And even if that sounds crazy, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Why would Paul say rejoice? How could we ever rejoice in such circumstances? How could we ever rejoice in the midst of a pandemic, of life upended? How how could we ever rejoice in the face of missing out on opportunities at work or in school or in sporting events? Having birthday parties and graduations and weddings canceled. How, How could we ever rejoice in the face of economic hardship, in the face of losing jobs and and losing wealth and income and security? How how could we ever rejoice in the face of the loss of life that is taking place in our world? Well, Paul knows something that is utterly important for all of us, is that in the midst of suffering, if we are going to stand strong, it becomes important that we are people of joy. Because Paul knows what Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need the joy of the Lord to stand strong in these times. It is the joy of the Lord that is going to sustain us. Look, it's not our ability to hoard toilet paper and hand sanitizer that's going to sustain us. It certainly isn't giving over to fear and anxiety and worry. Those things aren't going to sustain us. Our ability to control our circumstances and social distancing, that's not going to sustain us. That's not going to bring peace. In fact, If we put our hope there, if we look to those things to sustain us, look, we're going to be robbed of our strength. We're going to be robbed of our peace. We're not going to experience the fullness of those things. Rather, we're going to be discouraged. It is only when we look to strength by finding joy in the Lord that the peace is going to come and the strength is going to come. So how do we do this? How do we find joy in the midst of our circumstances? Well, this is where we have to ask ourselves a question. What are we fixing our eyes on? What has our minds and our hearts? What most is true to us? What seems the truest to us in this time? Is it the pandemic? Yeah, we're not denying reality. We're not denying the hardship and the pain that this is causing. But is that the truest reality to you? Is that the thing that you find is the last word on all matters? Is it the thing that most controls your emotions and your thoughts and your attitudes. Is this the ultimate truth governing and defining your life? 
If it is, then there's no hope and joy in that. That is not going to lead to joy. What Paul is calling us to is not a denial of reality. He's not saying just pretend like suffering and pain don't happen. Rather, he's saying, let's fix our eyes on what is most true. What is truer than even this pandemic? What is truer than even our pain and our suffering? And that is the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. And so this morning, look, if you're struggling with fear and anxiety, if you feel like your strength is zapped and you have no peace, can I remind you of the gospel? Can I encourage you in the gospel? Can I remind you that Jesus Christ, God the Son, stepped from heaven into our world and through his life and his death and his resurrection, he defeated our brokenness and our pain and our sin and sickness and disease and death. Jesus Christ stands in authority over sickness and disease and death. They don't get the last word. Church, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus is resurrected and reigning. The final word on our life, if you are in Christ, is not sickness and disease. It's resurrection. It's receiving bodies that cannot and will not be touched by sickness and disease and death. That is the power of Christ in you. That is the truest truth that is governing our world. Jesus stands in authority over sin and evil. Yeah, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of uh, the, the chaos around us in the world, governments and, and businesses and people often use these opportunities to take advantage of others, and, and, and that can cause fear in our hearts. We wonder, what is the government going to do? What are businesses going to do? What are other people going to do? But here's what we know. Jesus stands in authority over all of governing authorities, all rulers, all powers. Jesus stands in authority over sin and evil. He's defeated all of those things, whether your sin or the sin in the world. And so if those things are true, if it's victory that defines reality, if it's victory that defines us in Christ, then we can rejoice. We can look to what is most true in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering, and we can rejoice in Jesus. This is why Paul can so confidently say, even while he's in prison, even while he's being persecuted, even when there is suffering, rejoice in the Lord always, because Jesus is the resurrected reigning king always. He's never going to be removed from the throne. No one can undo his, what he has accomplished. No one can undo his power. No one can second guess. And so we can always be rejoicing in the Lord. Let us fix our eyes here, church. Let us fix our eyes on what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing in us in the world, and what Jesus is going to do when he returns and he puts an end to sin and suffering and sickness and disease. And so let us be a people who are rejoicing always in the Lord. So we're a rejoicing people. We're also a reasonable people. Paul writes, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word reasonableness is also translated uh, as gentleness or having a forbearing spirit. And unfortunately, too often, reasonableness is not what is defining the way people act. Uh, as I said earlier, when, when suffering hits, when, when uncertainty hits, when we're controlled by fear, what often happens is, is the survival instinct kicks in. And so we're just out for ourselves, we're out for me, and everybody else becomes a threat. Everybody else, I sort of have to combat for resources and have to combat because they're a threat to my security. This is the opposite of reasonableness. This is the opposite of gentleness. So what we as the people of God need to be remembering is that because Jesus is in control, because Jesus has gained victory over sin and death, because Jesus is sovereign and he is good, 
We don't have to fall into this fear mentality. We don't have to see others as a threat. We don't have to hoard resources and and hold them tight-fistedly. No, we can be those who show love. We can be those who are patient in the midst of this suffering and pain. We're those who can be open-handed with our resources, willing to serve, willing to give freely. We can be patient with people in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their anxiety. We can seek to cultivate within our community a sense of unity and love and service rather than a combativeness and competitiveness. And so church, for us to be defined by reasonableness is an outflow of our trust in the Lord. And can you imagine the testimony in our communities if when people experience us as disciples of Jesus, what they experience is joy? Well, they experience a, a peacefulness, a gentleness, a kindness in the way that we treat them, a, a willingness to be patient